Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I am just so delighted that you are joining me here in my Chicagoland kitchen today. And I just want to personally express my appreciation for following me along this culinary journey. It's so exciting, some of the places it has taken me. Um, my oldest daughter, Melissa, and I traveled to London a few weeks ago and actually had afternoon tea with one of the delightful chefs I had interviewed, Chef Eric Lenlard, uh, Master Patissier. And um, it, it's just so exciting to actually meet uh, these wonderful chefs and cookbook authors and, and Chef Lenlard. And I um, and a group of friends actually enjoyed his afternoon tea. He did a chocolate afternoon tea at the Carlton Towers, um, Jumeirah Carlton Towers there in London at um, the restaurant there. And he has a new cookbook coming out called Chocolate. And I look forward to um, having another kitchen chat with him soon. And I just want to encourage you and welcome you back into my kitchen. Um, Please, I'd love to hear what you're up to in your kitchen and send fun recipes and everything. And and um, we're starting some fun blogging and more social media uh, opportunities. So I'm just so delighted that, that you are here. And what a fun show we have for you listeners today. We have, oh my goodness, I'm just so honored to have our, this next guest in our kitchen, Molly Katzen. And actually, the new New York Times lists Molly as one of the best-selling cookbook authors of all time. She has five million books in print. Also, Health Magazine has named Molly as one of the five women who changed the way we eat. Uh, in addition, she was selected uh, by the Dean of Harvard as a founding member of the Harvard School of Public Health Leadership Council and the Food Literacy Initiative. Uh, she's a judge for James Beard Foundation Cookbook Awards, and just she's award-winning. What else can I say? And you are going to love, love, love her new cookbook <laughs> called The Heart of the Plate, Vegetarian Recipes for a New Generation. So let's welcome the guru of all things green, <laughs> Molly Katzen. Molly, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Thank you, Margaret. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, this is fun. So how did you get your interest in vegetables? I mean, this is just so you, – you really are a revolutionary <laughs> presence. In well, it, it, I mean, it, it goes so far back. I was really a, kind of a vegetable geek even when I was a child, so it was very early. I just always liked – that was my favorite part of my plate, you know, when I was growing up and I had that traditional American plate every night that we all did, or many of us did, the, the meat in the center – a little bit of vegetable on the side, maybe was what they used to call a starch. Um, but the vegetable was always my favorite part of the meal, even though 
when I was a kid, it was a frozen vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't matter. I loved it. Whatever it was, I loved it. Oh, it and I grew. Oh, and I grew up in the South, so we had a lot of those frozen vegetable casseroles <laughs> that yeah. we have for potluck and everything. But I you love those too. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> but you have truly brought great taste to vegetables, and I am so excited to share with the listeners your new book, The Heart of the Plate, because it truly is, first of all, just beautifully done. And and I know also in your resume, you um, are an artist, and um, did you design some of these beautiful pictures that accompany the pages? All of them. That was the other piece of the project was that my publisher... I, I, I'm actually a painter. I'm, I'm not a trained photographer. I'm not even a trained cook, actually. I, I, I learned by doing, but I am a trained painter. And so I love my, my, these books. All my books, or most of them, have my, my art in them in one way or another, whether it's drawings or paintings. So that part I, I'm always just thrilled to do. But um, because of that visual sense that I guess my publisher really liked and the fact that there are... Um, Pretty much it's important that there be photos in cookbooks now. They didn't used to be, but photos are pretty much an essential part of a cookbook most of the time now. My, my editor actually wanted me to style my own food and take my own photos in my own house. So um, it's not, you know, it's not magazine photography. It's my home photography. Oh, but um, it's, it's been beautiful. A, it's well, it's my own cook. It, I've cooked every dish that is shown in the book myself. That That is what I made in my kitchen, and those are my dishes. And so there's a very personal, almost intimate quality. To yes. That. And that's yes. important. I think it's imp- it's important to me. Not all cookbooks have a personal and intimate kind of sense of connecting with the reader, and they're not all meant to. It's not it's not a, it's not the so to speak flavor of each cookbook. But with me, that's how I I do it. I I like to feel I like to let the reader feel that I'm someone they know and trust. How, as much yes. As I'm having never met me. Exactly, and you can just get that inviting feel by by going through the pages. And and not only are you an artist on paper with your colors, you are an artistic word crafter. I mean, let me just read a little excerpt from one of the pages, and it's like, wow, this is for the cucumber melon peach gazpacho recipe on page 52 of The Heart of the Plate. And Bali writes, it's like like words out of a novel, dappled like a summer fruit version of a Surat painting, this refreshing hot weather special might come out slightly different each time, depending on the colors and flavors of your melon and peach. I mean, that is just beautiful. Here you're comparing, you know, uh, peaches and fruits to the the, the dappled, like a summer <laughs> version of a Surat painting. <laughs> it really looks like, you know, the visuals are so important. Yes. Cooking. And there's so many more kind of upbeat visuals when you're working with fruits and vegetables and grains. And like it was then, then was just meat itself. I'm not anti-meat at all. A lot of people, when they see the word vegetarian, they think they brace themselves for a diatribe against eating meat. They brace mm-hmm. themselves for uh, some, you know, being lectured or judged or something. But I'm not. I, that's not my bent at all. My bent is simply that I'm so busy getting as much plant food onto the plate as I can possibly fit that by the time I've, you know, <laughs> by the time I've he- heaped it on, there's really no room for anything else, and there's really no thought of putting anything else on there because it feels so complete. Yeah. Um, and that's just because the vegetables and fruit are so beautiful. And 
they have just all these little visual kind of effects that you can, if you cut them this way and juxtapose them that way and you add uh, other ingredients that bring, like shine from an olive oil or sparkle, in the case of a red onion, if you slice it thin, you can literally sparkle it up with some vinegar and sweetener and it could be honey or agave. And you get these bright colors that are just so cheerful and so compelling, they really pull people into the food. Oh, yeah, it's like you're painting a plate. <laughs> yes. And I, what I really am hoping for is for whoever uses the book, and the, and the, best, and the dishes are not, uh, they're not complicated. Um, my cooking of vegetables and food has, got, has become simpler and simpler over the years, and I know a lot of people worry, oh, if I'm going to start making mostly vegetables some of the time. It doesn't have to be all the time. It can be someone who you can enjoy your meat a great deal on a Monday night but want a vegetarian dinner on a Tuesday night, and that's fine. It doesn't mean you have to sign up for a new identity. Right. I use the word I use the word vegetarian as a description descriptor of the food. Yes. And that that means that, that relaxes everyone's idea that oh am I one I ha, I get so many people sending me notes to say I really um I really want to try that mushroom popover pie but but I'm not a vegetarian and I'm very fixated. You don't have to be to, to eat your veggies. Everyone needs to eat your veggies, yeah, and yeah. I really think you make it much easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's to... my, my goal. That is, my goal is to get everyone enjoying plant food more and also to bring out the home cook in everyone. Yeah. Because you believe that everyone has a home cook uh, in them, even if, it's, <laughs> even if there's one dish that you're going to learn how to make, and it's a simple dish. Once you've made that one dish, guess what? You're a home cook. Oh, well, you are so sweet because I'm taking this as personal encouragement because as my listeners know, I'm very challenged in the kitchen. But I am going to try these dishes because you make it very inviting and and not intimidating and and it's just really a soulful read. I, I just enjoy it and, it and it's inspiring and, and, you know, I think I can do this. <laughs> Oh, good. Oh, I'm so glad. Yes. Um, and, because and, I don't believe you're a non-cook at all. I believe you are a cook. Oh, you you have a lot of confidence, and I appreciate that. I have confidence in you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that so much. And and it's very timely, too. I have both of my daughters are vegetarians. And, you know, it, 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 it's been kind of a challenge in terms of how do you make vegetable dishes exciting and not keep repeating the the same ones and all of that. And I love the variety and not only on some of the basic um, dishes, but you take us on a culinary journey. I would love the readers to, you know, when you get this book, look on page 88 of the heart of the plate <laughs> and forgive my pronunciation, Molly. I don't know how to say this. Is it called Fatouche or fat? Fatouche. That's perfect. Fatouche. Oh, okay. I, I pita bread salad, which I love, with a sumac dressing, which is very tart. And what is sumac? So there are a lot of ingredients, you know, I'm not familiar with, a lot of different dishes. So sumac what? is an herb. It's a floral herb, and it's um, you can buy it, you buy it powdered, and you can buy it in, if you have anywhere near you, um, a store that sells Middle Eastern um, spices and, and you know pomegranate molasses and dried you know dried chickpeas in, in the Middle Eastern style that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can find dried spices there, and um, sumac is one of those those things you can buy dried. And what's really cool about it is that it's um, it's a beautiful purple color. It's not, you're not going to end up with a purple vinaigrette. Oh. But it's just a, it's a lovely kind of um, that kind of color and. 
um, you can spike your vinegar. You see, vinaigrette is basically always the same, where mm. it, you, you start with some acid, usually vinegar, maybe sometimes also lemon, and some allium, whether it's garlic or shallot, very finely minced, sometimes even onion, and salt, and maybe a little sweetener, depending. And this one a little bit because it's very uh, tart. And you start whisking, and then as you whisk, you drizzle in olive oil, and it thickens. It becomes an emulsion. And that's what makes a vinaigrette. But you can vary the different flavors in a vinaigrette. And so sumac itself is a, is a spice that's ground from, it's actually ground from berries. Mm. It's a very floral kind of flavor to it. Um, and it, it's a, the berries are from a bush native to the Mediterranean. And um, usually you can find it in, um, as I said, Middle Eastern grocery stores. Yeah. You can always use a, a za'atar or something like that. Uh, that's our spice mix because that often has a lot of sumac in it too, and wow. but not to get hung up on that one ingredient. Yes, so it's, you make a, a beautiful vinaigrette with that, and then you make a salad with um, cucumbers, bell peppers, and cherry tomatoes and scallions. Very simple, very normal <laughs> salad with a lot of mint in it. Right. Oh, and, that. And then you, you dress it with a sumac, and you you if you have purslane, which is a wonderful green. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. It grows as a weed in many places, but it's a tr- delicious green, very nutritious. But I, since that is the traditional one, but since I don't want to scare people off ever with, <laughs> with the ingredients that are too exotic, I, I don't have a lot of vanity about my recipes. I, I feel that sometimes someone writes a recipe and is like, I know about this cool ingredient, and you don't, and I'm going to use it, and then you know, you know like, sometimes really just kind of. I'm knowledgeable kind of vanity about a, a recipe, but I don't really need for people to think I'm knowledgeable. That's not my, that's not my right. point. My right. point is I want to make these recipes accessible to people so they can make these recipes in yes. the kitchen. And so yeah. I'll always offer a substitute. So here I'm go, I'll go on, on and on about personally and how it's really good for you and um, blah, blah, blah. But I'll also say if you can't find it, use romaine. Just plain old romaine lettuce. Okay. And it will still be absolutely delicious. Wonderful. And and just kind of a little side note, I I understand that first of all, each recipe in this book has been tested at least four times. And what I really like to, and you were kind of alluded to it, you use ingredients readily found in ordinary supermarkets or natural food stores. And I love how you say, Okay, you don't have to go for the foods you can't pronounce, you can kind of substitute it with right. <laughs> something you're familiar with, but what a wonderful opportunity, too, to, um, you know, try to experiment with these new dishes. So, uh, purslane, I'm going to look for purslane. Is that how you say it? P-U-R-S-L-A-N-E. Purslane. I was up at a farmer's market last week in Seattle, and they actually, they made this dish as part of one of the one of the bookstores had a booth and they were giving out samples of fatouche and they actually found personally and it was really fun to have it made with the real thing. But that said, again, it's fantastically good with just plain old romaine. I get very excited <laughs> when a recipe comes out beautifully with Aww. very ordinary I- ingredients. Yes, you know, and that and makes me happy. I don't need it to get to go down the exotic lane. You know, I like it to stay. If things stay simple, it's fine with me. I'm I'm actually thrilled when that happens. Oh, and and I love how you do have these recipes that have simple ingredients. Sweet potato pear soup. Who would have ever thought of pairing sweet potatoes and pears for soup? I love it. <laughs> oh, it so works. I also have some pear nectar in um in a in a root vegetable 
stew. I have a whole section. One of my favorite sections um, in the book is I have some vegetable stews that are easy mm-hmm. and kind of hearty, and each one of them has a hat, some kind of uh-huh. accessory that makes it fun. Like with the, um, I have a stew that's sweet potatoes, uh, black beans, and red peppers, sweet red peppers, and a peanut sauce. It's a Caribbean stew, mm. and I serve it with a little empanada. With a very easy dough that you fill with uh, green banana and um, pepper cheese. Wow. And you saute it and it gets really, it's just like a little crispy, savory turnover. You put in a splash of lemon juice in with the banana. It's so good. Oh, that does sound delicious. You know, another section I really enjoyed looking at, too, in your cookbook, The Heart of the Plate, is the cozy mashes. You know, I always think about just mashed potatoes, and and I never really thought outside of the, that box where you could mash broccoli and <laughs> green peas and Cuban style black beans to to add um, more color and taste to dishes. It's so it's so nice to be able to once in a while on a rainy day eat a bowl of <laughs> mashed vegetables with a spoon. You know, vegetables with a spoon. It's like this, you know, two shades thicker than a soup, and it, it, you can put it on toast. It's just very, very comforting, and I love that. I mean, I come from, um, I, you know, I don't know how many people remember the early 80s when there'd be these cocktail, or even in the 70s, there'd be these cocktail parties where the, there'd be a vegetable dip, and there'd be these big spears of raw broccoli. Yes. Big spears of raw zucchini. And no, I don't think anyone really liked that. Right. Um, and so, and, and, or if you cook vegetables, they were always, always crunchy, like mm-hmm. barely cooked, which right. sometimes is perfect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you want to let them go a little bit and get a little soft. <laughs> in my early hippie cooking, that was an absolute no-no. You never cooked vegetables so they were soft. You never cooked them in water. And now I cook vegetables in water sometimes. In fact, I'll cook a vegetable in the water just to get it tender on the inside, and then I'll finish it with a garlicky olive oil on the outside. I'll, I'll drain it and pat it dry and then just flash it in some garlic spiked olive oil to give it a so that because it's, it's a question of cooking the interior first and finishing the exterior second it's just oh, like a human okay. being you know you want to be beautiful on the outside i mean you, you want to look good on the outside but you, it only works if you're beautiful on the inside <laughs> well that's a great analogy you yes be, you want to be done on the inside before you you got see up the outside <laughs> and we must marinate in spiky olive oil <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And I also love some of the unique twists you have on some comfort food, and specifically spinach, mushroom, mac and cheese on page 242 of The Heart of the Plate. I love, you know, I love um, flipping traditional pasta dishes into vegetable dishes with a little pasta instead of pasta with little vegetables. Yes. I have um, four different mac and cheeses. I love them so much. They're so popular, too, right now. And I got um, one that the one you said the spinach and mushrooms mm-hmm. in a mac and cheese. And, and the this, the fun thing about that mac and cheese is that it's a white cheddar sauce made with some beer, like a rare bit. Ah. And then I have um, roasted cauliflower that I roast at a very high temperature in the oven and get it all cr- crunchy and caramelizey. And then I I never said caramelizey before. Sorry. <laughs> no, then, I um, love that word. Caramelized. <laughs> and then um, I'll crust some fontina cheese on top of that roasted cauliflower right while it's still in the oven. Just bake it right on there and get it all crusty. And then, well, then that can be then eaten freestanding, which is delicious. Or you can fold it into a mac and cheese with cheddar, orange cheddar. And um, so it's a roasted cauliflower crusted mac and cheese, either with the cheddar or you can continue with the fontina theme and put that in the mac and cheese as well. And so it's, 
It's mac and cheese, yes, but it's also roasted cauliflower. Oh, this just sounds so delicious. And I love your description under this, uh, the introduction to the spinach mushroom mac and cheese. You say, a golden path to popularity. This is a great use for leftover flat beer. It can also be made with present tense still perky beer in the unlikely event that leftover means the other half of the one you're drinking while you read this. (laughs) (laughs) I The top of the recipe, I I write a little welcome note to the reader. Hi, we hope you make this recipe, and here's why. Uh, and another thing that's really fun in the book is that you know, a very classic, internationally, just it's it's it's, it's kind of basic vegetarian staple is a combination of legume and grain, most notably rice and beans or beans. Yes, yeah. And in so many cultures, you'll have some version of that. And it's not that people in other cultures go around calling themselves vegetarian. Mm. It is that most. Places have mostly plant food most of the time, with some meat added in from time to time. So it's it's been very instructive over the decades for me and other authors who focus on plant food in their writing, other cookbook authors, to look to other cultures for ideas yeah. and how to use use legumes and grains and vegetables. And um, so I took the theme of beans and rice, which is just again it's a basic. Uh, uh, structure of, of a good diet, whether it's vegetarian or not, and play with the colors of it because there are so many different kinds of beans and rice available now in different hues. So I, my basic rice, my kind of workhorse rice, is a brown basmati, which is a mm. long grain rice that I love. Mm-hmm. But there are black rices now and red rices and green rices, and you can green up a rice even further by adding minced herbs. Like you put, as, as if you were making a pesto, you put some mint or some cilantro in a mini food processor and feather it up and then add that to some cooked rice and the rice turns completely green. And then you've also uh, embedded some vegetables in the rice because herbs are vegetables. And remember, any time you add a spoonful of pesto to some pasta. Yeah. Oh, what a fun. So, so, you know, I I have the different colored beans and rice, which is so much fun. I have white beans and black rice, and then I have black beans and orange rice. I make the rice orange by adding... Um, I mix in some cube butternut squash that's been roasted, and um, red rice and green beans. It's very fun. So I've got that yes. as well. And that can be like a party on a plate for different seasons with the orange rice, with Halloween coming up, and right, right. green and rice for St. Patrick's Day here in yeah, you, can, you, can always, you, can, you can make rice into an entree. Yes. So it will feel more psychological like entree if you... If you stuff it into um, one of those beautiful, you know how vegetables sometimes are perfect for stuffing, like a portobello that's been grilled, or a half of an acorn squash that's been roasted, or if you just cut a bell pepper in half lengthwise and sear it quickly in hot olive oil, it becomes a very worthy vessel. So Uh you can make that green rice and put it into um, a a half of of a bell pepper, and then you can top it with a little cubed cheese or a little bit of toasted nuts. And people cross over from psychologically from seeing it as a side dish to seeing it as, a, as an entree. Yes, that is a great tip. That is a great tip. And and I think you should uh, write a book because I know you have a wonderful outreach for children and children's cookbooks. And, and instead of green eggs and ham, I think you should write a green rice. Well, that's a wonderful <laughs> idea. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for children's cookbooks. And, um, and, and two of them are for preschoolers, really little kids with reading readiness embedded in the recipes. It's been so 
so much fun. That's, I think those have been. I, I loved working on the heart of the plate, but I think uh-huh. what I loved almost as much, or just about as much, was writing my children's cookbooks. Yes. Yes. And, you know, for for those um, moms that are out there listening with uh, young kids still at home, I'm now officially an empty nester. It's, it's so sad. But um, for those with, with young kids at home, what would you recommend to them to get them into the kitchen and to uh, eat their veggies? What what specific advice would you encourage them with? I would say to relax around it. Mm-hmm. Also, um, some mothers might really disagree with this. But it worked very well for my kids when they were little. They're grown now. Um, give the kids a little bit more space. So you, if you relax more, and you give, give them more space, more, kind of more choice about when they eat and what mm. they eat. Kids have a different sense. They get hungry more often than we do. And if, you, if you're very, very fixated on it, you must save your appetite for dinner. And everything's focused on dinner. Dinner becomes very fraught with um, pressure. It can't or it can't. Yeah. Or they might be hungry after school or they're little kids, you know, mid-afternoon. Um, I think that the idea of giving them autonomy over what they eat is very important. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do, what I used to like to do when I, with my kids, and now I do it when I visit preschools, is we put out a child <clears throat> on a child-level table so they can reach it, with some healthy little bites huh. that they can snack on, but that won't be snacks that, quote-unquote, ruin their appetite, but right. snacks that are real food. Um, like little cubes of tofu on toothpicks that they can dip into a little dipping sauce or cubes of cheese if they're, you know, if they eat cheese, um, sliced apples, baby carrots, maybe some cooked pasta, like the kind that's a substantial shape, like a little piece of farfalla, a bow tie that they can dip into a little pesto is like a little dip. Kids love yes. oh, steamed broccoli spears that they could dip into a little um, miso almond sauce. And those sauces are something that the kids themselves can help you make. Oh, that is a great idea. Yeah, if you relax a little bit about it having to be a meal and consider it a very healthy snack, those snacks can add up and the kid will be just, you know, the the nutrition will, will follow. Exactly. And I love, too, not only have you helped with the nutrition of the younger kids, but also the older kids partnering with um, Harvard and doing a food literacy initiative. That's Yes, we did. I worked on uh, creating, co-creating a food, li- food literacy project at Harvard University um, between 2003 and 2010. We had this wonderful time. I was going there and just helping them um, with recipes for uh, better vegetarian choices in the dining halls and explaining why and what it meant and talking with athletes about, you know, what their training diet might be. And I'm not a nutritionist, and I'm not um, a nutrition advisor, but just I, I supplement nutrition education yes. by making, by showing them what it looks like on the plate and making the actual food and making it delicious. Yes, and I also love, too, that Chef Jamie Oliver um, uh, endorsed your book saying, you know, that it, it's just a wonderful, um, what, uh, veggie. <laughs> it's just great. Oh, I forgot. That, I was, yeah, that was really nice. I was yes. with him last a couple of years ago when he was here. We gave him an honor at Harvard, and it, he was just so gracious. He's, such a, he's an incredible person. He really is all that. You know, oh. Admire him, but for very good reason. And it's just yeah. so nice that he was giving me support for my book. Yes. I'm really happy. 
And, and I just found the quote, a big fat book of lovely veggie recipes. That's what <laughs> Chef Jamie Oliver says about The Heart of the Plate by Molly Katzen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that he said that. I just had such a good time working on The Heart of the Plate. Um, and as I mentioned, there were a bunch of recipes that didn't quite make it into the book because mm-hmm. I, I had so many recipes. So I'm putting a bunch of them online on my website. I have a lot oh, of free recipes nice. on my website. Yes. MollyKatzen.com. That's M-O-L-L-I-E. K-A-T-Z-E-N dot com. And if you click on recipes, you'll get a whole bunch of free stuff. And yes, and listeners, I'm going to provide a link and um, to Molly's uh, website. Once again, mollykatzen.com, M-O-L-L-I-E-K-A-T-Z-E-N.com with some great recipe resources and, and even for cooking for kids and just wonderful, wonderful things are on the website. And also there is a link to her new book, um, The Heart of the Plate, and uh, just some great, great recipes that you'll enjoy. Um, also, please uh, follow Molly on her Twitter feed, uh, Molly Katzen, and Facebook, and, and enjoy the social media <laughs> party as well. <laughs> yes, and for those Chicago listeners, I am just so thrilled to let you know that uh, Molly will be in Chicago October 15th for the Chicago Ideas um, Inc. seminar hosted, I believe it's by Hyatt, um, and it'll be at the Cadillac Theater downtown. And what will you be speaking about, Molly? Um, Guess what I'll be speaking about. (laughs) I'll be talking about food and plant food and enjoying it and giving cooking tips and telling some stories. It's going to be really fun. Oh, and one of our listeners asked, um, do you have a garden, and what types of vegetables do you grow? I have a lot of gardens. Most of them are um, California natives, and not. I, I don't have specifically edible gardens in, on my hillside. That's got a, It has a lot of rosemary and lavender. Oh. And some thyme, but I grow a lot of the beautiful California natives. I do live in California. And then on the other side of my house, I have four raised beds, um, and mostly what I grow there, I have some fruit trees around those. I have uh, lemons and apples and plums, um, which are so much fun to grow, um, and blackberries, which will grow wild, which is interesting. Oh. The, the, the flat beds have mostly greens and some artichokes. I don't have enough sun for to get t- tomatoes really vine-ripened, mm-hmm. so um, I have a perfect little fog, fog belt temp- you know, climate. So it's perfect for kale and uh, several different kinds of arugula and lettuces and spinach. And some of the more esoteric greens like shiso, I grow a lot of shiso, I just love it. And um, what is shiso? So it's kind of, I call it the Japanese answer to arugula. It's a an herb that you often find in Japanese salads and in sushi. It's very strong and peppery. I grow uh-huh. watercress, um, but largely the big leaves, kale, collards, chard, mustard greens, I'm just crazy about greens. I my kale infatuation dates back about 20 years. People used to laugh at me, and now and now <laughs> where kale is now. <laughs> exactly, I hear you because we have that in the south and with turnips and turnip greens and all of that. Yes, I I love kale. Um, another listener, Lynn, um, has asked, "What are your favorite pairings of spice and veggies to create a special dish?" Well, the traditional one that I love for asparagus is tarragon. There aren't that many uses of tarragon. It's not one of the more common herbs. But I use it fresh a little bit with asparagus, and that works really, really well. 
great. And what specifically is tarragon? Well, it's just it's an it's an herb. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, one of the leafy herbs. It's got it, the, the leaves are kind of elongated like little spikes, but they're soft and it's very hearty. Okay. Um, and you know, it's not it's not that difficult to grow, so I really I really enjoy it. Oh, great! Um, yeah. And um, I love rosemary with potatoes. Okay. Favorite of mine. Oh. And um, I love um, mint with zucchini. Mint. Ooh. Yeah, you marinate some zucchini um, in a vinaigrette and then finish it with a bunch of minced mint. It's just fantastic. Oh, that does sound great. Um, A mommy blogger, dear friend and listener, Beth, has um, asked, uh, she tweeted in saying, love, love, love her, (laughs) Molly Gatson, and um, advice for getting kids to try new veggies. I know we touched upon, you know, getting them into the kitchen, but what about, you know, new veggies when it might not, uh, I guess, how do you make it really appetizing and colorful? if, if 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 grown-ups don't mind, if parents don't mind the, the slight element of food play with this, I would oh. say cut them small. A couple of things. One is to cut them in fairly small pieces, like child bite-sized pieces, okay. and cook them and put them on toothpicks and have a delicious, very full-flavored dipping sauce. Okay. If you don't have time to make a dipping sauce, I have a couple of dipping sauces in my children's cookbook. You know, it could be one of those simple soy sauces, soy and ginger and... Um, Garlic and maybe a little sweetener. Maybe if it, if your child is peanut butter tolerant, make mm-hmm. a nice little peanut sauce. Children absolutely love to dip, and they love things on little toothpicks. Be very right. careful, of course, that it's safe with toothpicks. They're not supposed yes. to be anything. And, yeah. um, or and they just, so the dipping. If you if you set it up so that it's intriguing and there's a little activity involved, dipping, kids will gravitate towards it. Or if it's something like steamed green beans, you don't need the toothpicks. They just pick it up and dip it. And if you don't have time to make a dipping sauce, just use sp- your favorite spaghetti sauce and let your kids dip oh, in that. It will be okay. super popular. And another thing I do is I chop the vegetables up pretty small and put mm-hmm. them in separate bowls, like a salad bar. Oh. Like a bowl of steamed chopped broccoli and a bowl of sweet bell peppers cut into sliced carrots. And make a little assembly line like a salad bar and have it on a table where the kid can reach, like a child-level table a play table, and make some uh, some lovely brown rice, have a little shaker of soy sauce, and a little assembly line, and let them assemble their own, I call it polka dot rice. Oh, I a rice love that. Make sure their little bowl is big enough so they can mix with abandon without the food flying out of the bowl. And <laughs> at the end, they can shake in a little soy sauce, tell them not too much, right. and they can mix it up so the rice gets a little brown color, and they'll, they'll be very proud that they made a beautiful bowl of polka dot rice, and in the process, oh. they'll have eaten some vegetables. Yes. Oh, you are so creative for all age groups. This is just just a delight. <laughs> oh, Polka dot rice. You. Oh, Molly, I have learned so much today about vegetables and, and presentation and preparation and, and spices and everything. Thank you so much for being a guest on Kitchen Chat. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Oh, this is great. And listeners, once again, I will uh, provide a link on this podcast to Molly's website. But once again, grab a piece of paper. It's Molly, M-O-L-L-I-E, Katzen, K-A-T, Z-E-N.com. And 
please um, definitely get a copy of her new cookbook, The Heart of the Plate, Vegetarian Recipes for a New Generation. So thank you again, Molly. And um, listeners, as you know, I always end the little podcast with, with the encouraging words and reminder to just take a moment and savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pearl Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you, so join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.